The Retro Lounge is a look back into the archives of the Recruiters Lounge podcast with Jim Stroud and Karen Matinen. The Recruiters Lounge podcast posted weekly between the years of 2005 and 2010. With energy, wit, and opposite points of view, <laughs> Jim Stroud and Karen Madden discussed, debated, and squabbled like children over HR issues that affected the workplace and society overall for the benefit of all who would listen. This episode of the Recruiter's Lounge originally aired on November 16th, 2007. The title? Recruiting the Sexes, Spamming the EOC, and Job-Stealing Immigrants. This is the description. In this episode, Jim Stroud and Karen Madden discuss bringing your spouse to your interview. Karen thought it was a good idea, but Jim, uh, not so much. Did you know someone was spamming the EOC for fun and profit? Did immigrants steal all the jobs or did we just give them away? And in the category of beating a dead horse... Jim and Karen Harp again on age discrimination. Tune in to hear what it was like back again on November 16th, 2007, right after this special message. On-demand recruiting is an hourly service that we offer where our recruiters work as an extension of your business, helping to fill your positions by finding top talent. So on-demand recruiting is there to address issues in hiring when a company is experiencing a lot of growth, when they're having some seasonality changes where they may um, temporarily need to expand their recruiting team. You maybe have a new line of business or a space where you're expanding your business and you need to bring in specialty expertise to help fill those niche roles that your internal team may not yet be ramped up on. Proactive Talent's on-demand recruiting solution is uh, quite different from um, a lot of the other models that you're going to see in the, in the workplace. Whereas you're going to pay a contingency recruiting firm, typically on average around 20%, sometimes up to 30% of the first year salary of the person that you hire. And in that same period of time, you'll spend less than a quarter of that with Proactive Talents managed on-demand for more information on Proactive Talent, visit them online at proactivetalent.com or click the link in the podcast description. Radio, radio, radio Innovative audio on demand. Hi, I'm Jim Stroud. Welcome to the Recruiter's Lounge. The Recruiter's Lounge is a podcast of news, interviews, and commentary on the recruiting industry. And it was designed with you in mind. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your time in the Recruiter's Lounge. This episode of the Recruiter's Lounge is brought to you by Affinity Circles. Affinity Circles connects over 13 million people through an exclusive network of online communities representing leading academic and professional organizations. With in-circle recruiting services, employers can target quality passive candidates and benefit from trusted employee referrals. To learn more about them, visit their website at www.affinitycircles. That's www.affinitycircles.com. Affinity Circles is not just who you know, it's how you know them. Hello, welcome once again to another exciting episode of the Recruiter's Lounge. I'm your host, Jim Stroud, and with me in the Recruiter's Lounge, looking as lovely and as talented as always, is my friend, Karen Madden. How are you, Karen? Hi, Jimmy. How, <laughs> what'd you call me? Jimmy. 
You never call me Jimmy. I call you Jimbo sometimes. Yeah, but well, not Jimmy. That's kind of weird. You don't like the Jimmy? Yeah, but, uh, yeah. It works for me. Yeah, but no one calls me that. Everyone calls me Jim Stroud. Okay, well, you call, you may bring me call you the Stroud or Jimmy or Jimbo. I'm now going to take my own patent on this for you. What? I, because you're my buddy. You're mm. the best friend in the world. Mm-hmm. I'm out. You're called Jimmy. Oh, that's so weird. <laughs> okay, you object. We'll have to come up with something. Yeah, else. come up with now because it's not like my mother's calling my name. Really? Yeah, that's why people call me Jim. I mean, Jimmy is like when my mother calls me. Okay, maybe I have to stick to Jimmy now. Oh, okay. <laughs> Everybody, you heard this. this is uh, I... <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing, anyways? I'm doing fine. Okay, it's not that long, actually. We did one too long ago. That's long ago, after the fires and everything. Yeah, it was Yeah, it was very surreal, but yeah, cool. I'm glad. It's get, It's nice to be a, a regular back again in the lounge. We've been so busy recently. Well, you know, you've always had a place here in the lounge. I know. I have a place, and I know you Is it your name on the marquee? Yeah, but the thing is, we've been so busy with a lot of our business, well, and jobs, and everything else. Yeah, yeah. Thing, it can make it just clear here out. Okay, whatever. Which brings me a question. Question. I have a question to ask you. Ask away. Okay. I'm recruiting recently, okay? Mm-hmm. And well, you've always been recruiting. Well, this really interesting t- job that I've been working All right. on, okay? Yeah. My client mm. invites the spouse with him the guy to the interview. No. Right, exactly. Wait a minute. The client in, invites the spouse to sit in on the interview? Yeah. Not just to come out and, in and in. sit in on the interview. Okay. So they they flew the, this climb the spouse in. Yeah. And um, with the with the husband. Mm-hmm. Had her and then said, hey, would you like to come into the interview with us? Now, she declined not to do it, but they did go. She went to lunch with them, the whole deal, okay? Mm. I actually thought it was pretty cool because, you know, it was a relocation, and so what they wanted to do was to have the spouse to be just as excited as the husband would be, right? Mm -hmm. And so I really, really thought it was a kind of a cool approach. I'd never had that happen in my 10-plus, 12-plus years of recruiting, okay? Never, never seen that happen. And yet, when this happened, I was like, wow. That was, cause, I mean, the wife is really excited about the job. Well, I guess it's a good closing technique. I've never really seen it either. But I guess it, it's at a point where you're inviting the spouse to sit in on the interview that is probably already a done deal. No, it was the beginning. This was the first. They had the, the very first conversation they brought the spouse in? Yeah, the very first face-to-face. They had the initial phone interviews, but they never hadn't done the face-to-faces. They must have really wanted this guy, assuming it's a guy. Well, it was a guy, which is a wonder, which is why I was going to bring to you to the. Um, I had another question coming up from here, okay? Mm. Like, how would a male spouse feel about this? You know, would the male spouse be as as amicable about going with the wife to the job interview? Uh, you know, that's a good question. That's a good question because usually, and maybe it's my male my male mindset or something, but I, I tend to think of it the other way around. I, I really think about it as, wow, I don't know. Maybe if it was a, an executive position and she was accepting some kind of some kind of executive role, like a president or chief operating officer or something like that, and she's getting paid all these bukus of dollars and. This is just a middle This is a middle level role. Role, okay, nothing huge, okay. Um, About a huge, major, major position. Right, right. It's a mid-level role, role, okay? Um, At the point that we were going in, this guy was either going in for, I guess, sales or project management or management because he could do all three, okay? Mm -hmm. And 
I really was thinking was like, would a husband has been, have been amicable putting their job, take a day off or two days off to go down there and um, to go interview with the wife, and would they have been as excited about the whole thing as the wife was? I mean, like, I'm going through some situations in my life right now where I'm opening up a new business, okay? Mm. And my husband doesn't want to play his part as much a role in it as I would have done, so I know as I would have done with my own with my own spouse, like I would have done for him, okay? Mm. No resentment, that's just who he is. But I've noticed that from talking to other women, that's how their husbands would be. But we would probably have done, we would probably go out of our way to, well, we do, invest our time. And when my husband wants me to go print something up for him or a map quest something, I would do it for him because he's kind of like, you know, busy doing something else, right? Right. But in something like this, you know, and I was really impressed with my client. And as I said, it helped really make a transition really smooth because you knew the wife's going to be playing a part, and they got the wife involved from the very beginning. I mean, I've never seen that before. And I, I haven't either. I'm thinking it's probably because um, they, must, they must really wanted that person. I just kind because if you and it's hard enough trying to get one, sell something to one person, but if you had to sell to, to one or more people at a time, it makes the whole process slower. Well, I'm going to give you a true story why I kind of got impressed with this, okay? Something right. that happened to me. Yeah. I'm recruiting an engineer, and I'm trying to put him in a sales position. Okay. He wants more money, and this guy, my client really wants him because he's got a sales kind of attitude. He's not the typical engineer, and they feel that he would be doing he would do extremely well with sales, and they want to take a chance on him. He's excited. Well, offer and acceptance was made, and then he calls me and says he couldn't take the job. Because the in-laws felt that it was a waste of an engineering degree, and they didn't want a son-in-law who was going to be a salesperson. What? Well, that was a lot to do with the wife. But the in-laws kind of helped intervene with the wife. Now, I thought I had kind of gotten the wife on board, because she'd mentioned that a couple of times. She was, but I think you lost me here or something. They were too, they liked the fact that he was an engineer. Right. They didn't like, like the fact the that he was being a sales engineer. guy. Right. They didn't want to say, well, my son, my son, what does your son-in-law do? Oh, he's in sales. They'd like to say he was an engineer. My son-in-law's an engineer, degreed, electrical engineer, you know what I mean? Right. And believe me, I heard this kind of thing from the wife, and I thought I had gotten her on board. She, was, she had been a nurse. And, uh, but for, I mean, they were so much wanting money, but the thing is, he was pretty much capped to where he could be, okay? Mm. And it's like where it comes back to where having the wife on board from the very beginning and the whole process where he doesn't have to go, you know, the spouse doesn't have to go home and explain the interview process and this is what was said, the wife, and this is what we saw and this is what the city looks like. The wife was there all along. I don't know. I, I, I just, I was just totally enthusiastic about the company. And I was like, wow, I love what you guys did. I was really impressed with what they did. Hmm. Which makes me wonder, too, I mean, you've been a recruiter, you're a searchologist. <laughs> mm-hmm. well, you know, when I think, you know, I know for me, I would recruit women differently than I would men. And I'm wondering if this is one of the reasons why. Would, would you recruit women differently than you would men? Uh, no. No, I wouldn't. I'll tell you why. Okay. Because every situation is different, and if I let myself think that 
I can only approach women a certain way, I can only approach men a certain way, then I'll be limiting limiting my results. You know, every situation is different, and I don't think that even if you go by statistics and that kind of stuff, I mean, people are different. I mean, so you got to approach everyone the same way. It's only fair. Totally true. True. I mean, that's a good point. But, I mean, I think even with the situations being different, though, is it not true that, and that's true because, I mean, sometimes you say that women have some more different responsibilities than men do, or they may have feelings and emotions about certain things in like family, for example, than men do. So then again, there are some women who are not married and don't have family responsibilities, so they may see perceive the situation similar to some other men. So that's a good point. So let me ask you this, then, since you brought the difference up. Am I understanding that sometimes you may adjust your sales pitch to appeal to a woman if you're talking to a female candidate as opposed to changing your pitch somewhat if it's a uh, male candidate? True. You, I mean, I I would based on situations. I kind of think you go with the flow, like you said, with situations, though. Mm. You know, you find out what their concerns are first. Hey, we should be talking about recruiting now. <laughs> um, find out what their concerns are. You find out what their reasons are and why they're not happy, what what uh, needs aren't being met, and then you address those same needs, those needs, based upon what you find in the job that match it. You know what I mean? Okay, so your boss is a total jerk to you, doesn't appreciate women. See, that's 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 um, sex agnostic. If that's a word. I mean, What's it doesn't that? matter what sex you are for that kind of thing, though, right? Yeah, in a way, but you really, you know, but mother, you'll find that they have somewhat similar needs, though. You know, maybe they want to be able to go to to little Johnny's baseball game. Well, so the dads too, though. But you'll find that the, but then again, they're single fathers. So you're right, because there's single fathers out there exactly. who have taken on the maternal world, and there there's a lot more single fathers today than there ever been in history. Thank you for acknowledging that. Now, I, I know some single fathers who get really upset about how everything is geared towards single mothers, because that's a stereotype. But there are a lot of caring single fathers out there who go through the same kind of trials that single mothers do, who don't get the same respect, it seems like. Absolutely. I mean, I've seen some single fathers who actually are more maternal than some mothers that I've ever met. Oh, yeah. You know, but I think they get a lot, but they get away with it more because they're men. I mean, women, and I'm sorry to say this, but it's true, but in the workplace, women are expected to act a certain way. So because they're expected, then they have to go ahead and say, well, I can't do this because they're expecting that of me, so that means I can't ask for that time off to go to see Johnny's game. But the guy, he's supposed to be family-oriented because that's what makes – do you know that married men – this is a natural fact for you. Do you know married men make uh, – or single fathers make more money than their counterparts? Say that again? Single women make more money than their female married or married mothers uh, or single mothers, okay? You know why that is? Because they don't get to go away. But here's the opposite. Mm. You know that single men, married men or family men make more money than their single counterparts or their married parts with no family and also more money than their female counterparts. Totally reversed. Hmm. So if you have, if you're a family man, you will be expected to make more money than your female counterpart, which obviously, but you'll also make more money than your single counterpart, which is the opposite for females. Is that really fair? No, it's of course it's not fair. Well, I wrote about that just recently, but it was kind of weird how it's totally skewed. It's like men are supposed to be family men. 
In fact, you remember how on the TV shows especially you'll see, well, if the guy wants to get promoted, he better be married so they go and pretend to have a wife? <laughs> well, I think that's because the rationale was that married men represent a stability. If the company figures, well, people may come and go, but at least their family guy is going to be there because he has mouth to feed, so I have a stronger hold on him because I'm giving him all these benefits. The family gets used to all the benefits, so now he doesn't want to go, or he can't go. Or that makes sense. Not as inclined to leave. Not that he can't go. He's not as, as inclined to leave because his family's used to the benefits that the company gives. He has something to lose if he leaves. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's the rationale behind all that. Yeah, well, it was a very good. See, twice you've come up with very strong rationale. Oh, my gosh, you surprised well, me. I'm just a rational guy today. Oh, my gosh, you surprised me today. What's going on? I don't know. Did you eat off of the, of the, the thought, the thinking branch? Oh, the, the what? The thinking branch. You're being thoughtful today. You know, well, I, I don't know. Uh, okay. Hey, you had an interesting post on on your site yesterday. Really? About the EEOC. Oh, yeah, the um, the spam scam. Yeah, can you imagine even doing it to the feds? <laughs> let, me, let me read a, I'll read a part of the article because I just so happen to have it here in front of me. Okay. Let me read to people who don't know what we're talking about. The EEOC stands for the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. And uh, they reported to authorities uh, not so long ago that there was an email circulating to employers that alleged that uh, to be a harassment complaint from the federal agency, uh, and, contains, and it contained links to computer viruses. So uh, employers who were receiving the fraudulent emails called the EOC to see if they were legitimate. The agency reported the emails to the U.S. Computer Emergency Readiness Team, which is a government-private industry partnership based at the Homeland Security Department in response to cyber attacks. And what happened was the recipients of the fraudulent email uh, were led to believe that they can access details of a discrimination claim by clicking on the links in the email, which is circulated under the subject Harassment Complaint Update 4. The email contains links to a virus that is likely to harm the recipient's computer if the user clicks on the reference link or downloads the attached file, uh, according to the EEOC. So, yeah, spam is growing. It's weird for spam artists to hit... Uh, the EOC, that's kind of weird. Well, not really, because think about it. Remember what happened to Monster? Well, yeah, but they were getting, you were getting access. People were hacking Monster for resumes. We didn't get identity information. Yeah, exactly. It was the same thing. You go ahead and you hit a virus, a bot virus, it comes into your computer. What's inside of a, a, a HR manager's computer? Oh, I see. Identity Yeah, I mean, they're going to have more identity information. They'll have, your, they can, they'll have all the application forms that these candidates filled out. Well, it depends. It's a possibility. I wouldn't say all because who's well, yeah, going to keep all of, of their employees' information on a, on a laptop? Yeah, yeah. It should be on a server file. or on a file or something. But, but yeah, you still have some resumes. Yeah. You'll have resumes for sure. And yeah. then you'll have all the this data that they may have gotten from the candidates. I mean, yeah, there's a, there'll be quite a lot of information in, the, in regards to HR. Hmm. You know, you'll have quite a bit of the I mean, okay, they may not have the active um, people are working there, but they may have the forms that people filled out for reference checks, et cetera, too. Hmm. You know, because you give out when you're doing reference check, you email the forms to them, and you put your social security numbers and stuff on there, too. Yeah, that's kind of weird. I think it was weird, though. You get numbers like that. I don't know, not so necessarily those social security numbers, but whatever the equivalent of on these CVs that are out there online. I mean, I received some CVs which are curriculum vitae, which is another way of saying resumes for mm-hmm. those junior recruiters out there. But I receive CVs from uh, applicants who have, you know, um, not only their name and address, but their social security number or some other, uh, the equivalent of a social security number uh, from their from their country, and their picture. 
and they sent it to me saying I'm looking for a job. And I'm like, wow, if I was a, you know, a bad guy, I could take all this information here and really rip off your identity and open up some credit accounts in other cities and in other countries. You know, yeah. it's really, really kind of scary. One of the things that I, about virus, no, it's about more than that, it's about nine years ago I wrote the ten, some 10 rules mm. about for candidates on what to do and what not to do when looking for a job, okay? I might send them over to you one of these days, but um, one of the things I talked about was that, you know, first off, interview your recruiters, make sure that they're really legit before you send resumes out. But one of the things that I stressed was, like, you know, you wouldn't put your birth certificate online. You wouldn't right. go ahead and put your personal information online. Well, that's what your resume is. You know, it, it pretty much is an identity of yourself. Hmm. And, I mean, I could look at a resume and I could see if a person probably has lived lived in that particular house or address for the last 10 years. And a lot of people don't realize this, too, but if I've got your resume, there's a lot of unscrupulous people who may not be legit, legit random recruiters. Well, okay, an individual can do a change of address by just contacting a post office online, putting in your address, and then say change of address or stop mail or whatever, just like that. They don't. They don't. Ask for ID. Well, let's not let's not give that idea out too often, too much there. Unfortunately, it has been out there, and that's mm. what's so sad. It's like it's not a giving the ideas. I'm trying to advise people. This is one of the reasons you really want to be careful. I would not put even an address really out there. I mean, it's it's a truly scary world that we are in right now in regards to privacy. And right now, thankfully, even the government is coming up with another bill saying, "Look, we need to protect online privacy." Even more so until you know most of these companies can come up and do more against against trying to make it. Um, I mean, more and more uh, places like Microsoft or Google and these places could do come up to the place and do more. Okay, mm-hmm. I know Microsoft is fighting for it. I know IBM and a few other companies are, but we don't recognize the wild wild west that we're in today. I mean, this is like America back in the 1800s when people thought we could never go ahead and control situations. I think that. The Internet can be controlled. I, you know, you and I, we've talked about ideas about how it could be controlled. Right. Yeah, it's not impossible. But the problem is is that it has to be also work on our parts. I mean, we, for example, in America, I'm ranting right now. I'm going to try to stop soon. But we lock our doors. <laughs> we, don't make, look, we, we lock our doors at night. Right. Okay. We make sure we take extra precautions to make sure we don't leave, you know, ammunition and guns hanging around if you own them, you know. Right. We try to make sure that we, as women, like when we're walking to our car, we keep keys out and make sure that we try to park in light, lighted areas, right? Right. We take precautions. Well, for some reason, we in America still aren't aware of the precautions we still need today to take when we put our data on the Internet. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, one yeah, because people just don't think about it. I mean, I'm going to ask you a question, too. Yeah. Let's talk about ownership of data. A lot of people don't even recognize that you don't even own a lot of the data that on these blogs or websites or social networks. You know, I'll give you a perfect example. I had an email where someone said they wanted to buy my domain name because it was coming up, you know, it was being up for sale again, I guess, okay? Right. You know, it expires. And I didn't think about it, and well, the guy gave a price, and uh, I was thinking if you put three, four, three more zeros behind that, I might have considered it. But you know, <laughs> but anyways, so I got a little concerned, so I contacted Lycos, you know, who I have my domain through, and I said, um, 
so do I need to do anything? They said, no, 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 you're leasing your domain from us. I was like, my mouth dropped. For the last 10 years or so that I've had my website with these guys, I thought I bought the domain straight out. No, I am leasing the domain name with them. Weird. Yeah. Now, I had never known that. I mean, I paid 34 They said when they said, do you want to purchase domain, I clicked on purchase domain, $34, and then I was going to be hosted $8 a month from there on, right? So hold on, let me let me see if skip to the chase on something here. So monster dot com, mm-hmm. whatever site is hosting their site, unless they actually own the host the server that their site is on, they're basically leasing their name. Well, even if you, it's like owning the server is still kind of a translucent because you're still. It depends if you're leasing the domain name. So I heard some people can buy the domain name straight out, but if you have your, like for example. Um, let's use, for example, MySpace. Yep. MySpace can kick you off, and they can still own your data, which is one of the biggest concerns that's going on with MySpace right now. Hmm. They can own every bit of your data. A lot of these social networks, in fact, there's a couple new uh, social networks that you and I belong to, okay? Um, there's one that's a pretty popular one. Mm-hmm. and. They pretty much say that, too. In fact, two of them say that. Actually, all of them say that. If you really read the agreement, but here's the catch. Half of these agreements don't stick. They're not legal. If you really read the print on these stuff, and they're ambiguous as heck, a lot of this, I mean, like, for example, one of the social networks, I have found a laundry list of at least 25 items that I could go ahead and say, this, this social agreement is not legal. And I know one company who has some legal people now they did was copy um somebody else's and i'm thinking if it's too strict it's just like a let's take for example two it's like a business agreement for hey Jim, i want you to come work for me and here's a contract non-compete and it says you can never work in the industry ever again you'll never hold up in a court of law well mm. some of these agreements are the same thing but i laugh at them because the reason these guys think they can get away with it because because the internet still is so new and nobody's tried to fight it yet. Ah. But you know, like for example, there's a guy named Spocko. 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 Okay. Great case. It's a very interesting case. He gets upset about something that was said on ABC. Okay, and he decides to blast ABC. ABC gets really angry and says they they want they say hey you know kind of a DMCA. Thing. They say, you know, Spocko, pull. Pull this post. We don't like it. Pull it. Spocko says, no, I'm not going to pull it. ABC then goes, ABC Network goes to one-on-one Spocko's host, server on host, okay? All right. And say, hey, we're going to sue you because you're hosting Spocko's site, and if you don't pull it, we're going to go ahead and sue you. One-on-one gave in, and they pulled the site. Wow. So now there's something called Electronic Frontier Foundation. They're taking on Spocko's case for him right now, okay? But the thing is, a lot of people don't realize that when you go ahead and you click that button, that you now, what you've done is you've given this company the right, so they think, to your material. Now, here's the catch. If they decide to kick you off, you will never have access to that material or even possibly your food chain, I mean, in your network ever again. 
There's no quid pro quo, which means now the TSA is no longer valid either. Because for our terms of service agreement or our contract to be valid, there's got to be some kind of consideration in there. Right. For both parties, okay? And then a lot of these parties said that, you know, that they they will both kind of say that you they have, both you guys have rights to your material. But the problem is, and they'll go on and say, but then they have full exclusive rights. First they'll say non-exclusive rights, and then they'll turn around and say full exclusive, which then says you can't have either or. You got it has to be full full blown non-implied. You have to have a full blown implied contract of what and who is going to own material. And then on top of that, you can't go ahead and say, well, we'll publish it here, but then we can publish it in another media form. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's so in- – and by the way, oh, what, the best part is I know that even um, MySpace says this. MySpace and a few other these networks says, when you agree to this contract, when you agree to any changes that we make any time. Well, the courts say, no, you can't do that. You can't irrevocably just change contracts whenever you want. You have to let people know when they change the contracts – because how is the person going to know right. when the contract was changed? You can change it in the middle of the night. Oh, exactly. And how, I mean, are they supposed to go on your site to go to the terms of service every single day to know what, if they agree to that? Okay. And so let's say they didn't agree to your recent change of service contract. Okay, they read it. They just happened to go on, and they happened to see these changes that you created, and they said they don't want to be part of it anymore. Do they get to leave your network as clean as the day that they came on? Well, I would think so. You would hope so. But some people, even though their contract may say you can cancel your account at any time you want, but as soon as they start seeing that you try to start deleting all your posts, they may kick you off and now hold you hostage like Hotel County of California. Sign in any time you want, but you can never leave. Hmm. Believe me, I'm going through this personally right now. Very interesting. Yeah, it is interesting because we go on to these social networks. Like, for example, we may, you know, you or I may come across a network or a forum or something, see a post that you want to go respond to. So you then type, sign up automatically, not even reading, saying, yeah, automatically that I agree to these terms of service agreements automatically, and start signing and typing away. You now become a member, become active. Next thing you know, you're held hostage. Your name is held hostage. Your comments are held hostage. And you may also get in a position where you never get to see your comments ever again. And that person is making money off of your name. You know what else is interesting? What else? I'm looking at uh, something that's sort of been going around the web for a while as too. What? And, uh, and I read this, and I posted it on my blog actually this week too. But I was wondering what had happened here. And let me, let me tell you about this. Is now, it open source network? No, 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 okay. no, no, no. You know, over here we got Republicans and Democrats and 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 everything else beneath that. But those are the two major parties. Uh huh. And over in London, UK, you got the Tories and the Labour Party and that kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Well, I was reading this article and they were saying that 80% of the new jobs that have been um, been produced over there um, in Britain have gone to foreign workers. I read that for the past ten years. Actually, I'm actually going to read a few lines to people who don't know about the story. Uh, Immigrant workers have been squeezing thousands of Britons out of workplace every year. This inference can be drawn from the figures released by the British government, according to official statistics. In the past five years, the immigrant workforce has grown by almost a million, while the number of native-born workers has plummeted by half a million. 
the Daily Mail reported. Uh, the latest bombshell from the Treasury came out about, came after came after a week of chaos over immigration figures, in which ministers had to admit that the impact of mass immigration has been far more dramatic than previously acknowledged. In fact, the Treasury has published figures in the annual ONS Labor Force Survey, which monitors trends among Britain's workers. In the 10 years since the Labor Party came to power, it shows that more than 80% of the new jobs have gone to farm workers, a far higher proportion than ministers had admitted last week. Now, this is the question that I thought about. The article that uh, that's read to you, it was a shocking stat, mm-hmm. and of course it's making the rounds in London and around the world. Because that's how I came, came about it. Someone said it. I saw it, came across it. Um, and when I first read it, I wondered, would this happen in the United States? Could it be happening right now? Could it, it, could it be happening? And I also wondered if it did, if it did happen that way, would people blame foreign workers for stealing jobs, or would they be blaming themselves for not getting the education or skills required to work those same jobs? Oh, no, no, Jim. Wait, wait, wait. And if U.S. workers had a majority of certain technical skills, or at least a perception of such, when the U.S. controlled the market price on certain salaries, is everyone would have to come over here. Oh, Jim, Jim, All right. Jim. What, what are your thoughts on that? Oh. And, I, and I, we'll go back and forth. Okay. First off, I do not like the fact that we even have to blame the the employees, but not why not blame the employers? We haven't raised wages in over 20-something years. In fact, even the minimum wage hadn't been raised in 20-something years, yet inflation continued to be raised. Do you realize that today we we here in our generation make are making less in our cost of living and a way of living than our uh, than our our parents are, and our kids are going to even make less than we are. And the reason is is because these companies continue to go ahead and keep these wages down and find ways to bring foreign labor in so they don't have to pay a pretty penny. Well, let me ask you this then. What if it's not about bringing in – when you say things like that, I always think about whether it's better or worse, construction-type work or day laborers, that kind of thing. That's not necessarily what I'm talking about. But is that where you're coming from? No. Because there's all types of areas that I've seen as a recruiter myself. I've seen people coming in from Ireland and England in C-level positions, and they're coming in on L-1 visas, et cetera. So I'm not going, and I'm also seeing tech people. I, I see that tech people are being utilized tremendously in H-1B visas. In fact, IT has the sector. There was one company, in fact, you wrote about this. I think we both kind of talked about this not too long ago, too. Hmm where this one IT company had to pay over a million dollars or it's like $2.75 million in charges and it was an IT uh, recruiting company because they were misusing and abusing the, uh, the visas, the H-1 visas for IT people and tech people. Ah. They're bringing in these people. In fact, oh, there's an awesome article I can send you to where an H-1B visa won a million-dollar lawsuit too against another IT tech company where he's – Peers were making a tremendous amount more money in overtime, salary, you know, wages, the whole thing that you know, the, the whole caboodle. And he wasn't. These guys were get the company was getting away with doing that, so they thought because they thought he wasn't going to sue. Right. And he turns around, and he sues. I remember he, that. The EEOC says, "Hey, you know, just because he's in, he's got an H-1B visa doesn't mean he doesn't get the same rights." Right. I remember that. Right, and remember that also you just recently also posted um, a video of a company, it was a legal firm, 
who went out was out there teaching. Oh, somebody. yeah, that wasn't recent, but I know you're talking about. Right. Well, and then the senators are coming down now and saying, look, these H-1B visas are being abused to keep wages down so people don't have to hire American com- people. Well, that's the same thing that's going on in a lot of these European companies, countries as well. The reason we don't want to hire our own people at home is because we could go ahead and make get more, we could get these people to come in and work and have to pay them less and not have to outsource. Well... I can see that point. That's an interesting point. That was easy. Let me flip it a little bit, though. Okay, what I'm thinking about when I hear about this kind of stuff, which isn't necessarily the case when it's behind this article, but I'm thinking about, you know, software developers and software engineers and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of people complain, or have been hearing the complaint, that the perception is they're shipping all of our tech jobs overseas Mm -hmm. um, or giving them to foreign workers just because it's cheaper which isn't necessarily the case. I know that there are a lot of technical jobs here in the United States, but people are not as equipped because um, computers, people enrolling in computer science is, is gone down dramatically okay. uh, over the past decade or so. Okay. So it's not that um, shipping jobs overseas or giving them to farm workers because it's cheaper. I mean, that's part of it, but the underlying truth of it all is that there aren't as many people in the States who are majoring in computer science like they used to. Okay. So if, it was a, if the case is... All the jobs, if 80% of our all the technical jobs went to farm workers. Okay, can I Wait, if 80% it? of technical jobs, software developer jobs, went to farm workers, will we have to blame farm workers, well, blame companies for so shipping to farm workers, or will we blame ourselves for not getting the education to do that same type of work? Well, can I argue that, too? All right. Okay. You're stating that, therefore, a degree that's only been around 20-something years, well, no, I'm looking. It's more important than experience. Uh, you know, I mean, there's there's been posts online on more than one occasion. You will see them by the IT world, where people who have tremendous amount of experience um, are being turned down for jobs for people who have a degree. Now, my question to you is: the degree a necessity or just a want? Well, let's take let's take that that whole uh, thing out of it because I wasn't even coming from from that angle. I'm just saying that. Whether they have a degree or not, what if you what if what if you um, what if you graded people or decided to interview them mm-hmm. based on the test uh, some online test that's timed and they say okay we have this special test online I want you to take it it's timed every time it is and it's random say they have about fifteen or twenty different tests and you go in the first time take the test you don't pass it you go in the second time it's a totally different test okay. so just to keep it fair as much as possible. Okay. So well, that was the, the whole criteria, that we would interview based on your test score on this technical thing. So you go in there, and everyone who passes the test are foreign workers. Well, because no one, in United, cause no one in the United States is really taking computer science courses like they used to. Well, the thing is, okay, now that there to me would then also be, that's surmising here, because if you're basing it on a test, if a person has experience or knowledge, of the work, then they could possibly pass the test without having to take a computer science degree. Okay, and um, so so that guess that would be all speculative, but I really do see a lot of companies are putting a lot of emphasis on degrees on a consistent basis when there's no need to be putting an emphasis on the degree. They're foregoing education, I mean, and not education. They're foregoing knowledge and experience just for those, and they're not using the three additional words or equivalent experience. Hmm. You see, because, I mean, you know, there's a lot of guys out there who've been doing this job for 10, 20, 30 years 
who haven't even got a has never been in a college or a school, but they would get turned down for a young pup just because he didn't have a he or they she didn't have a degree. Then I would imagine that going in the future, um, companies who want to survive will probably will probably say resort, but probably may be a bit more flexible. You would think and, so. And going it's with not things that way, it's actually gotten worse. You know how I wish we should ask? We could we should we should look up and invite a company like BrainBench. I know you're familiar with BrainBench, but they do a lot of online testing. Mm-hmm. Uh, this type of thing, we should invite them into the lounge to discuss um, how that would work and how. Because I know they do a lot of online testing for this very this very thing, which is where I'm getting the idea from. By the way, do you know utilizing a degree can create um, legal issues regarding um, discrimination? <laughs> What does not? <laughs> no, I'm serious. Do you know because it can create systemic or adverse impact? It, it it affects certain races and it can, especially in certain. Now, just that it depends on the um the actual position, location. You know what city you might be in, but it can it can actually affect certain races or females, for example, who are a lot of females who mothers or whatever may not have had an opportunity to go to school. But can I ask you a question? Let's go back to your your. Let's just say it was a degree situation, okay? Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, there's some companies out there who focus on degrees so much they even request that a secretary has to have a degree. You know who I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's go back to say degree. It was and it was not not. And they said we want our all of our candidates and employees to have degrees. Would it not be then fair for the companies to start offering free? education to their employees to get them to become more educated and instead of going outside the company but train the current employees to become more well, a couple of companies do that some companies do that some, sure i know i know several that do one of my clients united technologies is actually they have just stated that they they've stated that they want to become the most educated uh, company in the universe okay sure sure so, yeah, they do, but they actually do it. They'll pay for it up front. They don't ask for the people to pay back. You know, they won't pay back the employees. They pay for it up front, okay? Mm-hmm. But a lot of companies aren't. Now, maybe, maybe a lot of companies can't afford to. Well, then, you know, i got to say that maybe you, you start looking more at the three magic words or equivalent experience huh. and stop being so snooty about it. I mean, there's a lot of people who release... You know how I feel about this degree thing. I see a lot of companies putting too much emphasis on degree. I'm sorry for being so unlong-winded on this again. No. But I really <laughs> am very strong about this. I know. I know. Because I know. It, it really, there's a really great article written by a, psycho, um, a Ph.D. about mm. this, too. Mm. He thinks that a lot of it, too, sometimes it because HR. Mm. It's too lazy to write a proper job ad, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everything's in legalese. That's what it is. Everything and legal ease, because so that they can't get sued for some reason or another. At least that's, that's at least that's my thinking. Well, the thing is, I mean, okay, let me just go give you a perfect example, okay? All right. I'm gonna. Okay, first off, um, now they're going back, but back about ten, fifteen years ago, only was like I think it was twenty two percent of baby boomers had a college degree. All right. Okay. Yeah. Today, it's even worse. A lot of the Generation Y are going to college, but they're not graduating. It's taking six to ten years if they do graduate, okay? Mm-hmm. So now let's go with this. Now, there's a gentleman known, well-known in the world named Bill Gates. I've heard of him. Okay. I mean, I admire this man, okay? Now, Bill Gates, he's kind of stepped down, and he's kind of like on retirement right now. But now let's just say I Take IBM. the money and run, Bill. 
Okay, now let's say IBM says, hey, we want to go ahead and uh, we need a new CFO, CEO, whatever, somebody to completely revamp the company, or even HP, okay? Mm-hmm. HP could use some help, all right? And uh, so Bill comes up and says, I'll step in for the job. You think they're going to say, no, you're not qualified because you don't have a degree? Not the bill, no. No, but then again, can you imagine now the lawsuits that could come up from that? Because of all the people that they had turned down prior who had had equivalent experience, who had, sh- had proven experience, maybe they were black, old, or female. But they can make the argument that you've hired Bill Gates and you didn't hire me, mm-hmm. and we both don't have a degree. Right. Well, someone can always say, well, you know, that's Bill Gates. Come on. Well, yeah, but what they're saying, Bill Gates is just a person who puts his pants on one pr- one pants and one pants leg at a time. He's just a person who has proven experience. He's a human being. Sorry, Bill, I mean that as a good way, okay? <laughs> but you know, he's a human being. He's he's proven his experience. Well, person can prove their experience. If I've, you know, let's say I need someone to run a $10 million profit and loss and can manage 30 people, and the guy who comes in for the job has successfully for the last 20 years at the same company, actually competitor, and he's run a $15 million P&L. He actually took the company from zero to 15 in less than six years, and he's managed over 50, 50 people and more. He grew it. He's proven his experience. He has, But he has no degree, so we choose not to hire him because he has no degree. Well, that's just the fault of the person who's doing the hiring. Absolutely. But the thing is, that's the reason that there's an issue in it, because a lot of people don't. They will say, we will not hire anyone if they don't have a degree. And we see this more and more in today's society. It's like what I call the degree snobs for no for no reason whatsoever. It's like, for example, the same company that would they said for a contract job, we need a secretary, receptionist, mind you, to have a bachelor's degree. Yeah, I know you're talking about. You know, the thing is, when I see these, I mean, this is a really important conversation because it it makes you question. Now, let's just say, for example, they did turn around and say, we're not going to hire you, big deal, because you don't have a degree. Well, then Bill can come back and say ageism. Hmm. See, there is a, there is a catch-all for either or, because if I've got proven experience, and then you choose not to hire me. I say I'm a female, and you choose not to hire me. I could say sexism. You can't prove to me that the degree is a necessity for this job to get it performed. You will so try proving that to the EEOC that that's a really a minimum qualification objective. That's how that's how it can create an adverse impact because you will now have to prove to the EEOC when I sue you. For not getting that job, that that degree was such a mandatory necessity, and that also why I was able to work at your competitor in that job without a degree, doing the same thing. Sorry for going. My, I've been on a rant today, aren't I? Yes, and you used up all of our time with your rants, but that's okay. That's what we do here in the lounge. We let Karen rant, and we listen to her and Jim discuss the issues that are important to you. Hey, but you recruiters. did pick, you did pick off of the thought tree today too, though. Well, okay. You did good on that. Yeah, one, all right, right, all right, all right. Well, we're yeah, out of time. You didn't put a segue on this one, though. Okay, we're out of time. Okay. But uh, we, we want to thank you, dear listeners. Sure, I still got a lot to go. I know. We're going to save it for the next show. Okay. So, so listeners, um, next time I'll talk a bit more. And uh, 
I'll give you. Okay, I'll give him. I'll, give I'll him. talk a bit more next time, and um, you be there to tune in and listen in the next episode of Recruiters Lounge. If you have any questions, comments, if you like what you hear, don't like what you hear, you think we're great, or you think we totally suck, we want to hear about it. Drop me an email at Jim Stroud. That's they T-I-M. won't dare tell me that I suck. I'm sure they won't. Yeah, <laughs> tell us that encouraged. If you stop. If you have something to say, good, bad, or indifferent, please drop me an email, Jim Stroud, G-I-M-S-T-R-O-U-D at jimstroud.com. If you have something to say to Karen, send it to me. I'll make sure she gets it, and we'll more likely talk about you, or at least your letter uh, in the next episode of the Recruiter's Lounge. So, if all hearts and minds are clear, Karen, would you like any passing words? No? Okay. Well... <laughs> I have none either. I have none either. Okay, we'll talk to you guys next time in the Recruiter's Lounge. It's fun. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for this show. You've been a wonderful audience. If you like what you heard, love what you heard, or (laughs) just plain hate what you just heard, uh, let me know. Your feedback matters. You can reach me through my website at jimstroud.com slash podcast. That's J-I-M-S-T-R-O-U-D dot com slash podcast. So until next time, I'm Jim Stroud, and you're not. Radio, radio, radio talent. Innovative audio on demand. And so this ends this edition of the Retro Lounge, home of classic episodes of the Recruiter's Lounge podcast. If you haven't already, uh, subscribe now so you don't miss a future episode. Okay, cool. Until next time, bye-bye. Ever heard of Stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of Stoicism with a lowercase s and not Stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference, all that is Stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a a three-times-a-week podcast teaching Stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it.